I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services, America's first knowledge management nonprofit. This program, Because You Need to Know, is part of our mission to educate and bring awareness around knowledge management. Today we sit and talk with David Gertine. He is a keynote speaker and conversational facilitator. He works in the fields of knowledge management, organizational learning, and conversational leadership. He gives keynote talks, designs and facilitates knowledge cafes, and runs workshops around the globe. He is best known as the creator of the Gertine Knowledge Cafe, a conversational process to bring a group of people together to learn from each other and to make better sense of a rapidly changing complex world. He is the founder of the Gertine Knowledge Community, a global network of over 22,000 people in 160 countries. Conversations have a knack of taking you in all sorts of interesting places. They do. Sometimes having an intent to start that path is helpful, but to have a dynamic relationship with the language and the conversation takes a little bit of trust. Would you agree? Yes, it does indeed, yes. I mean, I always say this, this, the type of conversation that I like is one where I don't feel the need to have to self-censor anything I have to say. Uh, although, of course, we always self-censor a little. <laughs> but, uh, you know, often things that, c- that come to your mind, you think, mm, yes, that, that might be rather politically incorrect to say that. Right. But um, especially if it's being recorded. But, you know, sort of one-on-one down the pub over a beer, you know, with a mate, I mean, you can pretty much say anything, which is part of the final conversation. So where do you find your forte now in your history of dealing with... Well, I guess let's talk about that. I mean, initially, from what I understand, you started off in the data world. Is that correct? Data. Well, I started off with a degree in physics. and physics. Uh, But we're going back a long, long way. Mm-hmm. And my first job was for an aerospace company. I was, um, I was programming. I was programming in Fortran to help engineers uh, develop satellites and missiles. Um, but I say, we're going, we're going back a long time. And, and then I, I got into computers very early on, into mainframes and mini computers, and got into the software world and spent all my corporate career um, really as a software development manager. My last job with Lotus Development, uh, where I had the wonderful title of International Czar, and my job was to work <laughs> like... Yeah, good title. <laughs> Some people get called evangelists, I got called a czar. Um, my job was to work well across the organization to really ensure that all the software products were designed for the global market from day one. You know, quite, uh, quite techie roots, really. What's your association with the domain of knowledge management now? Now, today? Well, this last few years, my, my interest and my focus has, has really changed, I guess not radically, but but quite markedly in the sense that um, I think, as you know, you know, I started running these, uh, these things called Knowledge Cafes actually 15 years ago this September, um, September 2002, actually, maybe only 14 years. And that was sort of focused on, on conversation. It's those Knowledge Cafes and that the whole area of conversation and the role of conversation in our business lives, our personal lives and in society at large it's that that's taken over my thinking and my interest. And it's, it's really kind of part of knowledge management. In fact, sometimes I think that maybe conversation is the new knowledge management. But maybe that's a little bit uh, a, a step too far. But that, that's my focus and that's my interest. Almost, almost totally these days. Well, I recently have seen a, uh, a percentage breakdown of the 
the conversation and the people, the soft skills, the, the people connection being 80% of the KM solution and 20% being the IT. Would you mm. say that's a, that's a fair estimate? Mm, I think it's probably higher. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's difficult to put a percentage on, but I, but I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, the, 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 the gist of that statement, I think, I think is correct. I mean, it's, it is fundamentally about the people. In fact, in terms of getting anything done, it's fundamentally about the people and the way that we either work together or we fail to work together, you know, in terms of uh, actually getting things done and actually making the most of our knowledge. We don't do it in isolation. So what do you think caused the gap for this to be a new concept? Don't you think that communities for thousands of years have been based around conversation and community connection, people connection? So why are industries, organizations challenged now? Why is this a new concept? Well, as you say, it isn't new. I mean, it is um, as, as old as the, mm-hmm. as the human race is, is old. I mean, we must have started out. You know, some many tens of thousands of years ago, sitting around the campfire, um, having uh, having interesting conversations. But uh, I don't know whether it's just you just put too much emphasis on te- technology this last twenty years or more with the growth of the internet and the World Wide Web and I don't know mobile phones and what have you. That it's just this incredible focus on the technology, incredible focus on. I don't know, on efficiency and getting things done, often at the expense of the human side of things. So is it just a pendulum swing? Do you think it's just an industrial pendulum swing? We've gone to the codified IT infrastructure, everything has a process, and now they see that the organizations, industries mm-hmm. see that there's a challenge with that? Uh, this is interesting, Edwin. I, uh, thinking about it is that I'm not so sure in some ways it is a pendulum swing because even before sort of the information age, we were still not very good at having conversations. I mean, in, in, in organizations, it was still very much command and control. You know, we go back to that industrial age um, where, you know, the workers were effectively slaves. I mean, uh, you, you weren't employed to think for yourself. You weren't. You know, you were employed to do as you're told. I mean, okay, going back where where labour was was very much manually mm-hmm. um, oriented, and we we've kind of gone through this you know this this so-called knowledge economy. You know, where actually we're not producing tangible goods with our hands or or machines. You know, it's, so much of it is about is about thinking, is about the way that w- the work, the way that we relate to each other, and the conversations that we have. That is actually new. I mean, that's... So this is a revolutionary way of being compared to 100 years ago. As you were saying, you know, I'm thinking, all right, so people were task-oriented. You were functional. You had a functional purpose. You fit into a, you know, either you cut trees or you farmed or, you know, whatever those functions were. And you had a knowledge set around that. The communication around that was usually very much person-to-person as far as training and education and learning your craft. But now... That's a complete shift. So, yeah, I get it. It's not really a pendulum swing. It's a kick down the yard line to, to advance the ball. That's yeah. a game changer. So with that being said, where does artificial intelligence fit into this? Where do you, <laughs> where do you see this all going? Artificial intelligence. I mean, I'm, I mean people so often talk about AI and... Um, I mean, it's it's not an area that I've sort of followed closely, but mm. I just got a feeling we're so f- far away from sort of true artificial intelligence that's 
machines that can think like human beings, I really don't see anything that, to my mind, that comes close to actually actually doing that. Mm -hmm. um, they're still machines. They're still, by and large, programmed in a traditional in a traditional manner. You know, to, to to do very specific tasks. I mean, you, I think you've got to start to create a machine that's starting to look in awfully human <laughs> in, many, in many ways. Right. You know, with with feelings and and what have you, before you start to approach what I would what I would call AI. I mean, I I got into this discussion recently with somebody because they were talking about all the technologies and what have you, and of course I. I went to Wikipedia and looked up AI and just realized that the term as it's used today is just a set of technologies, whether it's sort of you know, neural computers and expert systems and all, all, all those things. But none of them, as far as I was concerned, met the criterion, criteria of being intelligent like a human being. It was, it, I guess it was just, to my mind, just another, another label, another rather mm. overhyped label. Mm. Do you see um, knowledge management being advanced in the technology realm at all? Have you seen, I, you know, as you as you were explaining your query into the artificial intelligence realm, are there things that technology, you know, I, I know we've all started off with folder systems and shared drives initially and those mainframes for large companies, but in institutions, academic and otherwise, where do you see, do you see and I, I know you've stated, stated you've kind of stepped away from the KM domain specific. You're more in the, mm -hmm. uh, but to me, it's all that same wheel, yes, right? Yes, it's all, yeah, it's all yeah. part of the connection. Uh, it's just another label, as you said. Where do you see this all going in, in, re, in respect to any infrastructure, uh, IT infrastructure you've seen? You see, one thing I feel is that knowledge only exists in the human mind. That we you know we talk about capturing knowledge and um, you know, storing it in a computer or storing it on paper or what have you. And, you know, and we make this distinction between tacit knowledge that's in our head and explicit knowledge that's on paper, or you know, in an IT system. I like to look at it somewhat differently. I like to think that and this is really a matter of definition that knowledge does only exist in the human mind, and once you've captured it in any way it becomes information. So if you write it down, if you audio record it, if you video record it, if you paint it, draw it, as soon as you capture it, as soon as it's no longer in the human mind, then it's information. And so when we start to talk about distributing knowledge or capturing knowledge or, or categorizing it or classifying it or taxonomies or what have you, I say, uh-uh, we're not talking about knowledge, you're talking about information. Because there, it's the stuff we're dealing with is inert. It's kind of dead. It's uh, it's it's it's, un, it's unchanging. And then the the real interesting stuff, and this is again, this is why I'm more interested in the conversational side of things, is the stuff that's in our in our head. And so as I say, information management is then really fundamentally today about IT. I guess it's still a, a little bit of um, stuff stored on paper these days still, but it's fundamentally about IT. And knowledge management, and it's about managing that that stuff, that electronic stuff, that digital stuff. And knowledge management is about the stuff in our heads, and that's much more about making better sense of the world, understanding the world, making better decisions, innovating. And if you think about those things, those at least today, unless we start to 
talk about AI. <laughs> but those, those, are, those are the things that only human beings can do. Yeah. That's, that's my framework for looking at the world, and that's just making a very clear distinction between information and knowledge and information management and knowledge management. So th there are probably lots of things going on in that information world for doing all sorts of things with that digital stuff but to be honest with you I, I don't I just don't take a lot of interest in it these days it'll it'll develop and have you but the the real challenge is is how we think about things and how we make decisions and how we innovate when you look at the world today you look at all the problems we face this new Zika virus you know I mean just how do how do we solve because you, you know often you can't solve problems like that. how do we respond to some of the the real uh, sticky problems that we face in the world. And we're not going to do that with machines. They'll help. They will help. Right. At the end of the day, when it comes to understanding things, making decisions, innovating, that's in the realm of being human, it's in the realm of the human mind. So that basically then information in this view is static, knowledge is dynamic. Knowledge is action, knowledge is uh, creativity. Yep. That's okay. Uh, I, I can see that. You know, I as as I heard you're discussing this or describing this, I was thinking, all right, so what's a wiki? Uh, it's kind of like a hybrid of what you're saying because you've got the availability of the static information, but it's constantly being adjusted and updated and changed by a tribe of people that are involved with that subject matter. or So it's like this evolving static, dynamic thing yeah it's true I, I guess if you looked at wikipedia um as an example that's uh okay i guess a lot of it's now quite static you know as it's settled down but, mm -hmm. but you're right i mean that's a dynamic data set it, well you know <laughs> it, set that's, right that's, right that's that, evolving evolving by the second the interesting thing with that is i, I was just recently discussing wikis uh with a class i teach in that you know the u.s army tried to go with the wiki as a doctrinal tool and mm -hmm. uh, they quickly found out that that's not really the best tool because the way it's designed is to be that dynamic thing. As doctrine is developed at an institution like the Army, that is at a top level where uh, information and lessons learned and best practices have all been scrubbed, verified, and then regurgitated in the form of doctrine as a top-down instructional baseline. Uh, and to have things constantly in flux, like in a wiki, that's counter of the operation of what Army doctrine was built for. It has to go through a process before it can be officially changed. The wiki would have been a better uh, product for like lessons learned or best practices, period. So they quickly learned that that, that didn't really fit. So the, do you see a lot of crossover or misdefinitions out there? Yeah, between information and, and knowledge and wisdom building terms like uh, intellectual capital, knowledge ecosystems, all these types of things. What's your take on all these different flavors? Well, everybody, everybody defines these things differently. There was a big conference in Kuwait maybe two, three weeks ago looking at how to turn Kuwait into a knowledge economy. Mm. And I, I tuned into some of that. And there's a lot going on in the UAE about, you know, how they can build a knowledge economy. And only this morning, just before we, we came online here, I thought, okay, just what is a knowledge economy? <laughs> and, I, and I Googled it and to see what other people thought. And I found a very recent report from, I think, the Work Foundation 
about the knowledge economy. But, I mean, I just browsed it really quickly, but I mean, the two things that stood out was one, a statement somewhere that they couldn't define what knowledge was. <laughs> it was it, the knowledge was tricky stuff. And two, they couldn't actually define what, what a knowledge economy was either. And I thought, well, just maybe, just maybe talking about creating a knowledge economy is utterly, totally the wrong way of looking at things, that we kind of getting into a very conceptual realm. And I find this one of the things in, in knowledge management, it's been one of my criticisms over the years, is that people will say to me, David, how do you create, I want to create a knowledge-driven organization. And I say, great, what do you want to do? <laughs> and they say, well, I want the, I want the organization to be, be knowledge-driven. And I say, what does that mean? They say, well, I want people to share the knowledge more. And I said, well, what people and what knowledge? Well, I don't know. I just want it to be knowledge-driven. And I'm saying, you know, I mean, it's just too, too woolly, too, uh, yeah. Yeah. too conceptual. Well, they asked me again. They asked me, you know, how do I create a knowledge-driven organization? And I said, well, look, you need to tell me a little bit about your organization. Oh, no, 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 no. I, yeah, you know, right, yeah. We haven't got time for that. Just yep. tell me, just tell me what I need to do. Give me, give me the five steps. Give me the brochure. Show me the way. Yes, yeah, yes. exactly. Give me the recipe. Based on this, and, and I, I, I hear the pain because I've seen it myself, where everybody defines it differently. And actually, I find that to be the the thing that makes knowledge management a valid thing because it becomes integrated to that organization's own definition of what yeah, the yeah. value is of the knowledge they call as knowledge to begin with. I've, I've always said, you know, every organization should define it how they want it in their context. And actually, it should be an ongoing conversation mm -hmm. um, because it's going to change over, over time. I guess this is, again, this is the dynamic nature of, of knowledge. And that that's true. You know, the knowledge has a shelf life, right? The knowledge a hundred years ago may not be valuable now, but then again, it, it might be. Begs the question, like in library sciences, you have a curator, if you will, librarian that keeps track of all this knowledge, right? Or, or information, as you would call it. All these, yep. all these textbooks and all these books and all that stuff. There's, there's like a viewpoint that I see where you've got to have somebody taking action to constantly, like you say, keep that updated, keep sifting. Is this still valuable? Does it still have value or may it still have value in 20 years? Yeah, That's and I, I sometimes wonder about the, about the role of that, uh, of that curator as to, as to whether you really need somebody going through all this stuff because, you know, I got great sympathy with, what was that old statement? Uh, a, a document is where knowledge goes to die. <laughs> 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 you, you you might as well just let it die. That yeah. if if somebody is deleting this and tagging this and structuring it all the time, first of all, they don't really know what's needed and what isn't needed in the future. And the chances are that even having done it and done it well, people aren't going to come back and look at it. Part of that is keeping up with the newest technology in order to make it findable and usable again, right? So the microfishes. Yeah, the micro the microfishes of forty years ago. I can't imagine an eighteen year old even knowing what a microfish is. No, they won't. Uh, you know, there may still be value there to some organization that invested a boatload of money making everything into microfish. That okay, so now what? Do you just do you just burn it? Do you let it degrade? Do you try to convert it? You know, those are those are a big heavy lifting questions i'm sure a lot of organizations have to wrestle with in that i mean i, I guess you, if you've got a lot of stuff there you know you, you can you can digitize it and you can you can make it searchable maybe it's uh, you know 
quite significant cost. I, I, I guess you, you've got to look at the cost equation and say, yes. look, you know, where's the, the value? The day, How much? Yeah. Um, is is this is this worth it? And I guess because it depends on what the knowledge is. I mean, I think what was the in, in the nuclear industry, a lot of the the nuclear reactors that were built probably in the in the fifties now, they're that they're well past um, their sell by date. I mean that they <laughs> they're, they're being decommissioned. Uh, Long after the people who designed and built them, uh, and probably not only retired but died, figuring out how to decommission those things wi without the, the knowledge of how they were constructed is is clearly tricky. And so, there's certain industries like the nuclear industry where it is really, really important to to capture that stuff and store it away because you n you never quite know when you're going to need it. So then it becomes a a verification trail, a authentication trail of of historical markers, uh, to some degree. Mm, yeah, indeed. So, I, as as you were speaking, and we were talking about knowledge management, and that'll be my last question: is what is knowledge management? But right now, <laughs> so what about the term epistemology? Epistemology is the theory of knowledge, especially with regard to its methods, validity, and scope. Now, it falls mm -hmm. into the realm of philosophy. So maybe that's part of the problem is that we are trying to make something concrete out of a philosophical thing. Uh, yeah, I would go along with that. I, th I think, it's, again, it's one, one of the big problems with KM is that at times we tend to get, again, too theoretical, too philosophical about it. I saw somebody talking not so long back at a KM conference about what is knowledge, and they were talking about justified true belief and mm -hmm. God knows what. And just sitting there listening to it and saying, "Okay, this is this is really fine as a sort of sort of a entertaining intellectual sort of <laughs> philosophical sort of uh, lecture, but you know, in the real world, it's got no value whatsoever." Yeah, yeah. Show um, me where you can where I can make a buck with that. Yeah. Well, not even that. I mean, it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't even about making a buck, you know. I mean, because again, I think that's again one of our problems in this world is, is that we're we're probably too focused on on making a buck mm. at the expense of um, uh, the environment and so many other things. And it comes back to what I was saying earlier about um, you know creating a knowledge-driven organisation. We just get these. I guess any of us who've kind of had a reasonable education is that we end up. Thinking very, very theoretically, very conceptually, you know, often out of touch with uh, with reality, and maybe that's a big, big part of what KM should be doing is uh, getting our feet back down, making <laughs> making it real, firmly on the make ground, it real. Making, make it real. You know, what do you really want to do? That's been my experience: is that there's uh, is making it real. Show me what I can do with it, and show me how to do it, and uh, step back. Yeah, and I think you know it's again a whole number of reasons why KM hasn't been as, as successful as we might have hoped twenty years ago, and that's part of it. So, do you think it's just transformed? Has it lost momentum? It seems to kind of bump along. <laughs> <laughs> One day it seems to be going down, and the next day it seems to be going up. I've, um, uh, I, can, I can, I can, I can, I can blow, I can blow hot and cold on it. What's it doing at the moment? Um, <laughs> What is what is interesting now? I think sort of probably in the West, like you know, in sort of Europe and North America, people tend not to use the term too much. In, in some ways, you you could say it's as a as a term, it's dying. Um, but a, still, a lot of interest in Asia and and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. I think the thing about KM, it is it is just a label, and so people might say, you know, oh, you know, 
KM's old hat, we're not doing KM or what have you. But then when you look at the things that they're doing, you know, whether they're using social media or they're, or they're collaborating or they're doing communities of practice, you know, they're doing KM stuff, mm-hmm. but what you and I would call KM stuff, mm-hmm. they're simply not calling it KM. I don't have any problem with that. I don't care what we call it. It's just, because, again, this whole business, this whole, whole business that KM is dead is just absolutely crazy because maybe the term is dying, but when you look at the issues that KM is trying to address, address whether it's better understanding the world, better decision-making, innovation, collaboration, all those things, those problems, those issues, they haven't gone away. They actually compound by the day, you know, as a, as a, whether it's in business or whether it's society at large. Those, the, those, those problems, those challenges get, get larger every day. So uh, from our point of view, KM is always going to be here. So let me ask you this to, to wrap up. There's two things. One, what would be the last thing you want to leave the room with the, with the people you're talking to? What's the, what's the thing you want to leave them thinking of? And what is knowledge management? Okay, number one is I think we just need to start to recognize the power of conversation. If you like, as a knowledge management tool, as a way of um, collective thinking, if you will. I mean, when we think on our own, there are all um, all sorts of problems, all sorts of biases that we have. Bringing a small group of diverse people together and get them talking about problems and issues, and, and that's where we're going to make progress. Not in terms of, not, not just in terms of understanding the issues, but understanding each other. I often say that you know, if you have a conversation with somebody and you fail to disagree, you, you fail to agree with them, that's not a waste of time. You now you now know that other people think differently to you, and if you've got to work with them, then that is almost as important as. Mm. as anything else so that's the first piece is i i really really think we should be thinking a lot more recognizing the power of conversation and secondly knowledge management i say i think it should fundamentally be about better understanding the world in terms of being in a better position to make good decisions and fundamentally to innovate you know, all the stuff that we're doing with information, you know, what I'm terming information, capturing it, storing it, what have you, we need to do that because, you know, to, to do good KM, you need good IM. Um, it's no good trying to make decisions, um, you know, however good you're thinking, however good your, your, your process, if you've got bad information or lack of information, you're not going to make a good decision. So you still need that base of information, of good information management. But I think we should be focusing far, far more on on making sense of stuff and it's only human beings that do that and the way that we really do that is by talking to each other just like what we've been doing just like what we've been doing yep (laughs) you got it (laughs) well thank you david i appreciate your time this has been a very engaging conversation it's been fun edwin i really enjoyed it This program, Because You Need to Know, brings people and their knowledge forward to be shared. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization with a charitable purpose. Help us provide knowledge work at www 
www.pioneer-ks.org.